Imagine a young woman in her 20s slipping on ice and falling on her hip. The chances of a serious injury are probably relatively low. Now picture an 80-year-old woman in the same scenario. Her risk of injury and a medical emergency is far greater. The reason has to do with decreased bone density as we age, which can lead to osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is much more common in women than men, but everyone is susceptible as they age. Of course, as we get older, it's crucial to understand osteoporosis and discuss preventative measures with a doctor. Welcome to the Merck Manual's Medical Myths podcast, where we set the record straight on today's most talked about medical topics and questions. I'm your host, Joe McIntyre, and on this episode, we welcome Dr. Marcy Bolster. Dr. Bolster is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. She is also the director of the Rheumatology Fellowship Training Program in the Division of Rheumatology, Allergy, and Immunology at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Bolster, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. I look forward to our conversations. Me too, certainly. So let's start off uh, with a bit of a general question. Can you tell us what exactly osteoporosis is and how it affects bone density and strength? Sure. Osteoporosis is actually a systemic condition where it can affect all the bones in the body. It is a condition which develops in people, causing them to lose bone density. And by the loss of bone density, bones are weakened and are much more likely to fracture. Now, we mentioned in the introduction of this episode that osteoporosis is more common in women than it is in men, particularly after women go through menopause. Why is that the case? We know that estrogen uh, is protective of bone. It's helpful for bone. So at the time of menopause, there's a loss of estrogen and thus a loss of the beneficial effects of estrogen on bone. And it's at this time that the loss of bone density is most rapid. We know for women within the first five to seven years of menopause, the loss of bone density is most rapid and it continues throughout life. There's not a distinct time in the lifetime of a man that is marked by this change in hormonal levels and thus the effects on bone. But we do know that men as they age uh, do uh, experience loss of bone density. It's just not as great as for women. How do you figure out if uh, your bone density is at a concerning level? Is that really how it's quantified? What is the um, what is the process there for even discovering, hey, I'm at risk for osteoporosis or I have osteoporosis? Osteoporosis uh, can be screened for with the use of a bone density test. And that is an x-ray test called bone densitometry or a DEXA scan, which stands for dual x-ray absorptiometry. And the use of a DEXA scan can help um, identify the loss of bone density. It's a painless test. It's an x-ray test, and it takes maybe 15 to 20 minutes. The DEXA scan provides information that includes a T-score, and the T-score is a measure of the number of standard deviations away from normal for bone density. We would ideally keep our peak bone density, and peak bone density occurs around the age of 30. Um, but unfortunately, we don't keep 
peak bone density, and the T-score measures the number of standard deviations away from peak. And we know that with a T-score of minus 2.5 or lower, meaning minus two and a half standard deviations um, from peak or two and a half standard deviations lower than peak bone mass, that there's an increased risk of fracture. So that is the point where we define osteoporosis, knowing that that is associated with an increased fracture risk. But there are also people who have a T-score between minus one standard deviation and minus 2.5, and they have osteopenia. And we also know that some people with osteopenia will have a fracture. In fact, 50% of fractures occur in people with osteopenia. So it behooves us to figure out which patients are at risk for an osteoporosis-related fracture even before getting to the point of osteoporosis. What are the recommended age ranges for someone who should consider getting a bone density screening? Is it you know, a few years after you turn 30, uh, or is it much later mm -hmm. in life, uh, especially for women as you, um, you know, are going through the process of menopause? The recommended age for screening for women is actually 65 years old. And we know that the average age for menopause is around age 51 or 52. So there's a long period of time between menopause and when the actual recommendations start for screening. By assessing women's uh, risk factors for osteoporosis, that can clue us into the need perhaps to screen at a younger age. And for men, it's not quite so clear. We do know that um, there's a benefit in screening men who are 70 years of age or older, um, but we also know that some men will have risk factors for osteoporosis and they should be screened much earlier. The goal is to find osteoporosis before it presents with a fracture. Is there anyone who should consider screening in your 40s or earlier? Is there anyone um, you know, that you've come across in your career that, you know, though this is the kind of person who should be getting a screening uh, much earlier than normal? Typically, no. Mm -hmm. um, if we find low bone density in premenopausal women, they really are not at increased risk for fracture. And, you know, we're trying to figure out who is at high risk for fracture. Now, having said that, there are certain health conditions and there are certain medications that people take, and that might increase their risk for fracture. In those people, it would be beneficial to screen them earlier. But in an otherwise healthy premenopausal woman uh, or man younger than 50, there isn't a reason to uh, perform screening. Are there any genetic factors that would contribute to the development uh, of osteoporosis? Well, osteoporosis is thought to uh, have an important family uh, history component. And we know that if there is a family history of osteoporosis, that the risk um, is higher. And particularly if one of the uh, if one of your parents has had a fracture and particularly a hip fragility fracture. Um, so we know that there's increased risk for osteoporosis in any individual who has a family history, but particularly in those whose either of their parents has had a hip fracture. I think you mentioned uh, a couple earlier, but are there any other common risk factors associated with osteoporosis apart from gender and apart from age? 
There are a lot of risk factors associated uh, with uh, the risk of developing uh, osteoporosis. And we mentioned postmenopausal status. Um, small body stature is also a risk factor. So um, women who weigh less than 127 pounds, for instance, are at a higher risk for developing osteoporosis. Other risk factors that are potentially controllable or modifiable would be tobacco use, um, and excessive alcohol use. We know that smoking is a risk factor for osteoporosis. We also know that um, for alcohol use, um, drinking three or more drinks per day um, is associated with uh, increased bone loss. There are also inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis that increases the risk for osteoporosis. Some of the Medications for seizure disorders can be associated with increased risk for osteoporosis. There are some underlying health conditions associated with uh, increased risk for osteoporosis. Do only individuals with a family history of osteoporosis need to be concerned? No, you know, family history is one of the risk factors uh, for osteoporosis. So I think any of the things that we just talked about um, such as small body stature, postmenopausal state, um, tobacco use, other underlying conditions or other medication use, those are also substantial or those are also significant risk factors. Um, so that can prompt the need for screening as well. Dr. Bolster, does taking calcium supplements guarantee protection against osteoporosis? I'm guessing the answer to that is no, but maybe you can explain why. I think calcium supplementation um, is an important part of the management of osteoporosis, and this is the same as vitamin D supplementation. But let's take a step back from that question, actually. I would um, rephrase the way, I would reframe the way I think about it in that an individual should have an adequate intake of calcium, and that could be through the use of supplements or through dietary sources. And the healthiest way to get calcium is through dietary sources. So I do think it's important for people with osteopenia or osteoporosis to get adequate calcium, either through their diet um, or by adding supplementation. And the goal for calcium intake is 1,200 to 1,500 milligrams a day. We don't want people to take too much calcium because then they run the risk of kidney stones. So having um, a healthy amount of calcium in your diet, if that's possible, um, that would be ideal. And then to add to it to get to the 1,200 milligram goal would also, uh, I think, be beneficial. And likewise, vitamin D, the recommendation is 800 international units per day um, of vitamin D intake. And it's harder to get vitamin D through multiple dietary sources. So often patients need to take a vitamin D supplement. You've mentioned uh, hip uh, fractures a number of times. Does osteoporosis only affect an individual's hips? Osteoporosis can actually affect any bone in the body. And we talk about hip fractures as an important part of the uh, considerations for treating osteoporosis be because we know that hip fractures are associated with very high morbidity and mortality. And what that means is that um, following a hip fracture, patients typically don't return to their prior level of activity and, and state of health um, after a hip fracture. And we also know that um, even survival after a hip fracture is altered 
um, it's been estimated that one in five people will die within a year of sustaining a hip fracture. And it's not that the hip fracture itself causes um, a patient's demise, but the hip fracture is associated with increased frailty. And so people develop increased frailty and they're more they're at higher risk for falls. They also are more likely to get things like a pneumonia or a blood clot, like a blood clot in the leg that can go to the lungs. And, and these are the things that contribute to the um, decreased survival following a hip fracture. So in addition to hip fractures, we actually need to also mention spine fractures. Spine fractures are actually the number one type of fracture in patients with osteoporosis. They're the most common. And spine fractures can be very painful. That's if they are clinically apparent. We do know that about two-thirds of spine fractures are asymptomatic. So that means that patients can have spine fractures and not have any symptoms. They may have no pain and they may not even know they've had a spine fracture, but what they might notice is that um, there could be a loss of height or an increase in what we call the kyphosis or the development of curvature of the upper part of the spine or what has been termed a quote dowager's hump. Um, and so that those can be signs that uh, patients have had vertebral fractures. And for the asymptomatic vertebral fractures, those fractures are typically detected on uh, imaging that patients have for other reasons, such as a chest x-ray or a CT scan of the chest or the abdomen. Dr. Bolster, you mentioned people may not know they have a spine fracture other than maybe seeing, you said, mentioned spine curvature uh, or some other issues. Um, if they come to you and you recognize these um, these individuals who probably have it? Do you recommend tests? Kind of, how do you decide or how do you figure out you know, if you had a spine fracture, are there ways to do that uh, other than just coming in to see you um, and getting a test from there? So if a patient has um, noticed a loss of height of an inch and a half or more, we might consider getting radiographs of the thoracic and lumbar spine to evaluate for spine fractures that would be apparent on those tests. The DEXA scan really just shows us the change in bone density. In order to look for a vertebral fracture, there is a second part of a DEXA scan or a different part of the software or a different piece of software called a vertebral fracture assessment or VFA that can look for vertebral fractures, but not all DEXA scans have that software availability. Um, so we don't necessarily rely on that. Does a person's career uh, impact their likelihood to develop osteoporosis? So are people who are at computers, you know, more more of the time hunching over <laughs> potentially, uh, does that lead to higher instances of osteoporosis? I would think of it more as if they have less mobility or more immobility. Um, and I'm not sure that uh, career decisions really impact that as long as people are active otherwise. But we think about people who have profound immobility having more bone loss. Um, for instance, um, people who are not able to stand up and walk, people who have to get around in a wheelchair. Because we do know that weight-bearing exercise is good for the bones. And just to clarify, weight-bearing exercise just means being on your feet and bearing weight on your feet. So you don't actually have to be lifting weights for it to be thought of as weight-bearing exercise. 
Having said that, lifting weights has a lot of benefits for the bones um, because it can really help with muscle strengthening, with core strengthening, and with ways to uh, improve your balance, um, your stability, and reduce your risk of falls. Now, for individuals who have osteoporosis, is that the same essentially process? You should still remain as active as possible, or are there other ways to reduce the risk of fractures? I think in um, people who have osteoporosis, it's really important to remain active. Um, Weight-bearing exercise is an important component of the um, treatment for osteoporosis. Calcium and vitamin D adequacy um, and dietary and supplement intake is important and consideration for the need for medications is um, also important. And thinking about how to manage osteoporosis, being active and having weight-bearing exercise as part of your routine is very important. The adequacy of calcium and vitamin D intake is important. And um, the use of medications when indicated is also um, the mainstay of how we treat osteoporosis. But we should also remember that reducing fall risk is an important component of managing bone health. When people are less likely to fall, they're less likely to fracture. And so um, fall risk is an important uh, modifiable risk factor. Dr. Bolster, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast to discuss osteoporosis and just some of the myths and misconceptions surrounding it. As we close out, I'll let you leave our listeners with the final word. Thank you so much. My final words would be medical knowledge is power. Pass it on. Wonderful. 